Good morning. Welcome. Um, that was obviously just to take a shot at Peter, but I did want to reference uh, last Sunday and just uh, what happened here, what God did in our midst last Sunday. Um, this is just a, a statement. What happened last Sunday was a statement, and I hope you're, you're getting this, that this church is called to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. I'm not up here to educate you on a Sunday morning. I'm not up here to entertain you. I'm not up here to tickle your ears and make you feel good about life as you walk out the door. Um, we will always be up here to challenge and to help produce growth and foster that in every single one of us in this church. And so I was uh, very, very moved and pleased with what Peter courageously did last week. And I hope that it was uh, a positive thing for you um, in spite of the awkwardness and squirminess that went on inside of some of us. Um, This is who we are. And we need to be putting into practice constantly the things that we're learning and being refreshed on in the word of God. It needs to be who we are. We are to live out everything that we're being taught from the word of God. And so... Uh, Many thanks for engaging in that last Sunday and um, taking that opportunity. Uh, If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. So if you want one, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use. And um, if you're uh, one of the people who's here, if you do not have a Bible that you own, and um, particularly after you see us getting into it here this morning, um, just keep the one that you're given to borrow. That's no problem at all. We want to make sure that the, the word of God is in all of our hands. Um, it was intended for us. It was intended for us to use. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed having our kids up here this morning. Um, one of the awesome realities of Wednesday nights is that there are about four times that many kids up here. And um, I am so thrilled when I look back over the past year at what God did through our children's ministry and the fact that there were so many kids that were here on Wednesday nights from outside this church family that are not here on Sunday mornings and the opportunity that they had to hear the word of God and to learn to worship God, the songs that they got to be engaged in and all the different things they got to participate in. I'm so excited for what God did last year and what he's gonna do in the year to come. And I'm so thankful for all of uh, our volunteers, and that's, that's many of you that are right here, um, who have spent so much time serving in our children's ministry. Thank you for that. Um, and many thanks to those that are downstairs right now with our kids. Um, I've watched my kids grow as a result of the children's ministry of this church. And I know that all of the kids have been growing. I know that God's been speaking to our children. And um, I am just really, really pleased with where our children's ministry is at and all that's been accomplished in this last year. And we're just, we're looking forward to a a good summer, Um, looking forward to VBS, a huge outreach opportunity that we have here where we have lots and lots of kids from outside the church who get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, they're still looking for volunteers. There's a, you saw the the sign-up area out there in the lobby on your way in. Take advantage of that. But um, um, just excited. Many thanks to all of you who are involved in our children's ministry here. It's a it's a real blessing. It is a real act of service to God that you are doing. All right, turn in your Bibles to the Book of John, John chapter one. This morning we begin a series of messages that examines one of the most famous characters in the Bible. Um, His name is also Peter, and I believe that we have a lot to learn from this examination of Peter and his presence 
in God's Word. Um, we have typically here studied a book of the Bible over the summer months, um, but this time things are, are going to be a little different for this summer. Uh, we'll study a book still. Uh, actually, we'll study two books, but those books will be studied in the context of our examination of the Apostle Peter. In this series, we'll take a close look at Peter, at his life and his Lord and his letters. And so later in this series, we'll get into an in-depth study of First and Second Peter, the letters that Paul wrote to the scattered church. Uh, he painted a clear picture of what it looks like to live the life of a Christ follower that's under pressure. His letters are rich with guidance and instruction. There's so much there for us. But first, we'll spend some time looking at his life. Um, Peter appears many times in the Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Uh, He's at the center of many great Bible stories, some of which are really familiar to you, others not so much. And we'll look at his relationship with his Lord, with Jesus Christ. Um, Theirs was a fascinating relationship and one that we can learn an awful lot from. Let's look now at John chapter 1. Verses 35 through 42, and this is the time when Peter is introduced to the world, and it was an incredible time. John 1, verses 35 through 42, it says this. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are, you, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. All right, let's get some background for this story. This is where it all began for Peter, and we need to know what was going on here. John, the disciple who referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, is the author of this account, and he starts his account right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And on your own, read the introduction to this book in uh, verses 1 through 18 of chapter 1 there. Um, John identifies who Jesus is so beautifully. He refers to Jesus as the Word, and he introduces us to Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Now, if you go back in your mind to the Christmas story, you will recall an unlikely couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth giving birth to this John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been called by God from his conception to be a messenger who would go before Jesus, announcing the arrival of the Messiah to the world. And so John's busy here, located in a place called Bethany. It's a town on the east side of the Jordan River calling people to repent and be baptized because, as he said, the Messiah, the Christ, was already among them and they needed to prepare to meet him, to receive him. John the Baptist had a a difficult calling, to say the least. Uh, He spoke of someone that the people, especially the Jews, were familiar with and waiting for, 
but it had to have been very difficult for them to believe that the Messiah was already there and that this weird guy in the desert was announcing his arrival. So in verse 19, John writes that the Jews sent someone to check out this messenger named John. He was attracting a lot of attention. In fact, enough attention to bring four fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, from 80 miles away to see and hear him. And so the priests and Levites from the Jews were also there, and they asked John who he was, and this was John's reply. Look at verses 19 through 23. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Someone that Moses had talked about. And and he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John then tried to explain to them that he had been sent to baptize with water symbolically, but that there was another coming who was so much greater than himself that John felt he was not worthy to untie this coming one's sandals. So the next day, as John the Baptist was carrying out his calling again, Jesus walks by. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that literally sends chills up my spine. This moment was the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was now identified and nothing would ever be the same. Nothing. Then the next day, John the Baptist is standing talking with two of his disciples and Jesus walks by again. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God. Again. John's two disciples heard him say this and they started following Jesus as he walked, which was exactly how John the Baptist would have it. They had been his disciples, his students, but now they were leaving him to follow the Messiah that he had just announced. And that was John's plan all along. No ego issues here. That's what he wanted. So these two disciples catch up to Jesus and they ask him where he's staying. Jesus invites them to come in and he'll show them where he's staying. And they end up staying the rest of the afternoon and the evening with Jesus, listening to him and just being in his presence. Now guess who John the Baptist's two disciples were? Well, the first was Andrew, the brother of Simon, and soon to become one of Jesus' 12 disciples. The second was most likely John. Not John the Baptist, obviously, but John, another soon-to-be disciple of Jesus and the author of this book that we're looking at. The fishermen were there. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Andrew and Simon, the sons of John. Two sets of brothers, also partners in business. They were partners in a fishing business back in Capernaum. Andrew and John were there to hang out with Jesus that evening. And and during that time, Andrew and John catch on to who this man they're with really is. They know that they have encountered the Messiah now. 
the one that John the Baptist had been talking about. And Andrew is excited. He's excited. And so he goes and gets his brother Simon to bring back and introduce to Jesus the Messiah. And now our main character for this series enters the scene right here. A sculptor was once asked, um, how do you sculpt an elephant? And the sculptor replied, I just take a block of marble and chisel away everything that isn't elephant. This is the story of the life of Peter. At this moment in time in Peter's life, Christ was about to begin a process of chiseling away in Peter anything that wasn't Christ. Peter's life would be a journey of pain and humility, of joy and victory. Peter's life would have its full share of ups and downs, highs and lows, times of great weakness and times of great power. And, the, and all the while, Christ would be chiseling away, transforming Peter into his own image, into the image of Jesus Christ. And right here, this is where we need to connect with the story of Peter. At the very beginning, Peter's story is our story. Do you believe that? No matter who you are, God's plan for your life and for mine is that we are being transformed daily into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to do. That's what God is capable of doing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that above any purpose in your life, God's plan for you is that you're constantly being chiseled, constantly shaped, constantly transformed? We've got to get on board with God in this venture. And as we travel through this series, I want you to be looking for some common themes here. Um, Throughout this study of Peter, I hope that you can see these things very, very clearly. Um, First of all, God's intent. God's intent is to restore. God's desire is to restore. God has the ability to restore. And God's universal plan is to restore God's intention towards us is to return us to our original state, free from the power of sin in our lives. He intends to do that work in you and in me, but he's not detached, he's not robotic about this work. He strongly desires to do this work in us. His passion is to reconcile you to him, to draw you closer into fellowship, communion with him by restoring your character, your heart, your mind. He loves us and that's why he wants to do this. God has the ability to do this. Are you confident of that? I hope that by the end of this series you'll be totally confident of God's ability to restore you. And on top of all this is God's amazing plan to restore all of mankind, a plan in which every one of us has a part. We'll be able to see all these things in our study of the life, Lord, and letters of Peter This study is going to awaken us to this reality this summer and remind us of who God is again and who we are. We'll look at Peter's life and who he is and what he experienced. We'll look at the impact that Jesus had on him and how that changed Peter. We'll look at the impact that Peter's life had on the world then. His impact is simply astonishing. We'll look at Peter's Lord, at the Lamb of God, at Jesus Christ How did Christ relate to Peter? How did he speak to him? How did he disciple him? How did he correct him or affirm him? 
How did this whole process, this chiseling that started right here in this passage in John chapter one play out? Folks, we need to know this. We need to enter into this. And I believe we can truly enter into this story as we observe what happened with Peter. We can invite Christ to do the same in us. And that takes courage, enormous courage, but it is not beyond our reach. It's not outside of our reality. And So let's follow Peter together and see what God has to teach us through him. So who was Peter? Well, we've just seen that Peter was the brother of Andrew and that the two of them were fishermen. Um, it appears that their fishing business was quite successful. They had other fishermen working for them, which allowed them to do things like travel 80 miles to go and see a prophet named John the Baptist. We know from the Bible that Peter owned things like boats and a house. We know that Peter had a wife. In Acts 1, verses 29 to 30, Jesus went to Peter's house and healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so those details are clear. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, we're told that Peter's wife joined him on at least some of his missionary trips. But we know nothing of Peter's children. We don't even know if he had any. Okay, what else do we know? Well, we know that his name was Simon, just Simon, until he met Jesus. Um, Simon was a very common name. There are at least seven Simons mentioned in the Gospels alone. Um, There were two Simons even just among the 12 disciples. Simon the Zealot was the other. In the book of Matthew, there's another Simon. He was Jesus' half-brother. Judas Iscariot's father was called Simon. Jesus ate a meal at a home in Bethany that belonged to a man named Simon the leper. Simon the Pharisee hosted a banquet that Jesus was invited to, and the man who carried Jesus' cross partway to Calvary was named Simon, and he was a Cyrene. Our Simon was known as Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah. And Simon's father was known as John, or sometimes Jonah, or sometimes Jonas even. And that brings us back to our story. John chapter 1, verse 42 He, Andrew, brought him, Simon, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. There's something here that's obvious but often overlooked. Um, Andrew didn't introduce Simon. He simply brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and knew him right away. In his divine knowledge, Jesus says, I know you, you're Simon. But then, for a reason that Peter couldn't have been sure of at that moment, Jesus goes on to say, you shall be called Peter. Now, can you imagine someone saying that to you? Just changing your name like that? You are Paul, son of Albert. You shall be called Skip. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, When I played soccer in college, we had three guys on our team named Paul. And so our coach simply renamed two of them on the spot in our first practice. Um, The first one he called Sil. His last name was Silcock. That was an easy one. The second one he called Wimpy. (laughs) That Paul was not a very big guy, and he called him Wimpy right on the spot, and it stuck the entire year. And then he got to me, and after seeing him name the last Paul Wimpy, um, I was not very optimistic about what was going to happen but he let me keep my name, uh, much to my relief. And that was the closest I've come to what happened between Peter and Jesus when they first met. 
But Jesus was not giving Simon a new name because there were too many Simons already. There was something else going on here. Jesus didn't replace Simon's name with Peter. We need to know that. Simon didn't lose his given name. Uh, In Luke 6, Luke states it clearly that Simon's name was not replaced. Luke writes of Simon, whom Jesus also named Peter. And this becomes clear as you look at the various accounts of Peter's life. The character we're studying is sometimes referred to as Simon, sometimes as Peter, and sometimes even as Simon Peter. So what was happening here? Why the new name? Well, it seems like Jesus had chosen a nickname for Simon for a very specific reason. Peter means rock. Petros is the Greek word for a piece of rock or a stone. The Aramaic equivalent of that name is Cephas, which is why we sometimes see Peter referred to as Cephas, but it means the same. Peter and Cephas are the same name, just different languages. But Jesus was very clear in choosing this name for Simon. It was a nickname with a purpose. It was carefully chosen and selectively used. It appears that Jesus was making a statement to Simon by giving him this nickname. Simon's personality was anything but rock-like, and that seems to be the reason for this nickname. I remember years ago following the career of a, a remarkable major league pitcher by the name of Oral Hershiser. Great pitcher. He pitched for the Dodgers. He had a stunning career. The Dodgers' manager at that time was Tommy Lasorda, and he recalls the days when Hershiser first joined the team. Oral had the skills, but he lacked the character. He was timid, and he did not face pressure well. So the manager gave Oral a nickname, and he was known from that point on on the team as Bulldog. Bulldog. Opposite to his present character, but there to inspire him to greater things as a pitcher. And this is the kind of thing that I think Jesus was doing with Simon. But Jesus didn't just stop using the name Simon when referring to Peter. In fact, if you study the life of Peter, which we're going to do, you'll see Jesus using the name Simon as much as he uses the name Peter. And the way in which Jesus distinguishes the use of these two names is almost comical. Um, Generally speaking, there were two contexts in which Jesus and the writers of the Gospels used the name Simon when referring to Peter. The first context was what we could call the secular context. Um, When used in a very matter-of-fact way, the name Simon was used. When his house is mentioned, for example, Scripture usually mentions Simon's house. There are examples of that in Mark, Luke, and Acts. When Scripture speaks of his mother-in-law, she's referred to as Simon's mother-in-law. When referring to his business, Simon's name is used. They were Simon's boats. Luke says that James and John were partners of Simon. In this context, Simon's name is not mentioned in reference to his character at all. It's just a material or a secular use of his name. However, the second context in which Peter is still referred to as Simon is a little more interesting and has everything to do with his character. When Peter's displaying the characteristics of his old self, you'll see him often referred to as Simon. When Peter is skeptical and reluctant, he's referred to in the scriptures and by Jesus as Simon. When Jesus predicted Peter's denial of him in the courtyard before his crucifixion, he called him Simon, not Peter. 
when Jesus is praying in the garden and Peter and the others fell asleep, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, why are you sleeping? When Peter needed a rebuke or a correction, you'll usually see him referred to as Simon. Peter had two names, and I think he understood what Jesus was doing. Um, In his letters, which we'll look at later in the summer, he opens the first one with the name Peter, referring to himself as an apostle of Christ. In the second, he uses the name Simon Peter, referring to himself as a servant and apostle of Christ. Peter remembered where he came from. He knew that Jesus was shaping him. He knew what he was transforming him to be. But there's something else I want us to acknowledge before we move past this first encounter that Peter had with Christ. The addition of a nickname for Simon is interesting and significant. It certainly gave Peter a constant reminder that he'd been chosen for transformation, just like you and I have. I can imagine Peter cringing when he heard Jesus use the name Simon. Um, That would have been worse than hearing your mom and dad using your full name when you made a mistake as a kid. This was a reminder that Simon's character needed to change and mature and grow. But let's look again at what was happening when Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked right at Peter and he identified him without being told who he was. Now that in itself is a miracle, but there's even more than that here. Jesus knew Simon. He not only knew that his name was Simon, but he knew that this was Simon, son of John. Jesus knew who Simon was. He knew his name and his lineage, but we all know that Jesus knew even more than that about Simon. There are three things that I want to wrap this up with this morning that ought to draw us into Peter's story right from the start. These are three things that are true of both Peter's story and ours as well. First of all, Jesus knows who we are. Jesus knows who we are. He knows us. He knows our character. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses, our aspirations and dreams, our insecurities, our disappointments. Jesus knows our hurts, our secrets, our vices, our joys, our experiences, the ways in which we've been abused, the neglect we've suffered, the voices in our heads. He knows more than we're revealing in our Facebook profiles or even in our diaries and journals. Jesus knows our lineage. He knows what happened in our homes when we were young, good and bad. He knows more than we're willing to reveal to even our closest friends. He knows our thoughts, even the ones that cause him the most pain. He knows what's behind the masks that we wear. Jesus looks into the very depth of our souls and he sees everything. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus knows everything about us. Everything. He's the one who created us. He's the one who gave us life. There is nothing that we can hide from him. And that reality strikes terror into a lot of hearts, maybe yours. If it does, then pay attention to what happened with Peter. Jesus knew Peter. He knew everything about Peter. He knew what had happened in Peter's life to create such a volatile personality. 
He knew everything about every moment in Peter's life. He knew what Peter was overcompensating for. He knew Peter's insecurities. He knew every one of Peter's fears. He knew every one of Peter's flaws. Based on that, we ought to be very afraid for Peter as all of that, his character and past, are laid bare before Jesus in that moment. Jesus was in a position to judge Peter right then and there because he knew everything about Peter. But what did Jesus do instead? Instead of focusing on who Simon was, Jesus fixated on who Simon could become. Christ knows who we are. He knows everything about us. But he does not dwell on the flaws in our past or even in our present. Jesus sees what we can become. And he saw that so clearly in Peter that that he had to give him a nickname. He said, I know who you are but I know who you're capable of becoming and I'm going to give you a name to help you remember. You are becoming a rock. Jesus had a dream. He had a vision for Simon. He saw Simon becoming someone who was strong and reliable and solid in character. He saw someone dependable, courageous, and firmly rooted. Jesus saw a man who had been created in the image of God. Well, guess what? Jesus can also see who we can become when he looks at you and me. Now, is that not encouraging? Doesn't that give you some kind of hope? Isn't that truth capable of setting you free? The one who knows everything about you sees a bright, hopeful, ever-growing future when he looks at you. Jesus sees who you were created to be in his original plan for you, the one that was drawn up before sin entered the picture. He sees, in spite of all he knows about you and me, a man or a woman who was created in the image of his Father. Jesus says, I know you. I know your name. I know your character. I know your past. But I know your original design too. And I see that design being restored in you. Jesus saw that in Peter. So he called him Rock. The hot and cold, brash and cowardly, in and out Simon was seen by Jesus as Peter the Rock. And the third thing that we need to see from our story this morning is this. Christ can change us. Christ can change us. Our future, if we let it be, can be safely placed in Christ's loving, powerful hands for him to do what needs to be done to restore us. He can take the mess that is our past and our our present and begin to chisel away at us to remove anything that isn't Christ and shape us into that likeness, into his likeness. Jesus is absolutely without a doubt, capable of doing this in every single one of us. He can change us. We'll see what Christ did with Peter. Um, Jesus started with a mess. And the mess didn't disappear at the first strike of the chisel. It took time. Is there anyone here who wouldn't choose to become what Peter became 
in the hands of his Savior. Jesus did it with Peter. And he can do it with you and he can do it with me. What's your name this morning? What's your name? What's your story? What's your context? Is your name anxiety? Christ can name you peace. Is your name addiction? Christ can name you freedom. Is your name rejected? Christ can name you accepted. Is your name bitter? Christ can name you love. Is your name fear? Christ can name you courage. Is your name guilty? Christ can name you forgiven. You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Peter. I know you, Jesus said. But he went on. I know who you can become and I can change you. I can restore you. Is it time for you to get this straight with Jesus this morning? Maybe you've been in denial regarding the fact that Jesus knows you that well, that he knows everything about you. Maybe you realize that, but you can't see past the judgment, the guilt that you feel over what Jesus sees. Maybe it's time for you to invite Christ to do in you what he did in Peter. Whatever it is, meet him here in this story as we begin this journey through the life of Peter. Enter in, connect, submit yourself to God's desire and his intent to restore you. We're going to share communion together now. Um, There's something significant that took place to move us all from the point of being known by Christ to the point of being transformed and restored by Christ. All the flaws, the sin, and the mess that he is well aware of and the obstacle that it created has been dealt with on the cross. And that's what we remember as we partake this morning in communion together. Your past, dealt with. Your sin, dealt with. Jesus gave his body and his blood to free us from anything that might hinder us from being restored. You have been forgiven, past tense, once and for all, so that Christ can do in you what he desires to do. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to invite the elders to come now and prepare to serve. And Matt, if you'll come to begin to lead us in music, let's pray together as they do. Father, I know that there's Nothing in your word that we were meant to just ignore 
or blow by and, and not allow to impact us. And this simple statement, I think, is one of those things. When your son said to Simon, you are Simon, son of John, but then offered him a new name as a symbol of what he was going to do in him. And God, I do believe that that is exactly what you want to do in every single one of us. Father, it scares me that you know me that well. And I think that's probably how many of us feel. But that fear is overcome with your perfect love that loves us so much more than anything that we could do that would cause you to hate us. I thank you, Father, for looking at us and for seeing who we were created to be in the first place, for still seeing your blueprint for us, your design, in spite of the mess that we've made of things. Father, if there are those in this room this morning that need to invite you to do this work in them, I pray that that would happen that you would give them the assurance that out of love you're looking at them and in spite of the fact that you see everything about them, out of love you simply say, I know who you can become. Remind them of that love, Lord. Remind all of us of just how much you love us and just how much you desire to transform us into the likeness of your Son. God, we, every single one of us needs to step into this. We're never to reach the point, Lord, where we just say, this is good enough. I am who I am. I'm happy with who I am. Let's just stop here and coast. I know that's not your desire for us. And I know that your desire is sometimes scary and difficult and, and stretches us beyond what we think we can handle. So remind us of your great power this morning. Remind us that you're creating us into rocks, living stones in your church, your family, your body to be used for your purposes to accomplish your will. And I thank you that you are doing that. There are so, that there are so many here who are carrying out that will and that shaping's happening. And even this last week, to watch what you're doing in people's lives, to listen to stories of transformation and change and hope and freedom. I praise you, Father, for your power. I praise you for the ways that you use this congregation. Think of Betsy Wallen who's headed for Bolivia this Tuesday. Just, Father, bless her in this mission that you've called her to. And so many others that are, are coming into places of service, places of witness who are laying it on the line to reach out to their neighbors and their coworkers and their friends and their family members. Increase this, God more and more make us into the church that you want us to be, a church that is fearless to the degree to which Peter became fearless. If you can do it in him, you can do it in us. And I praise you that now we can come and remember that thing, that act that set us free forever. 
that we can remember the body of your son tortured and beaten and crucified in our place, that we can remember his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be clean. I praise you, Father, for who you are. And I do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.